Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. And a little bit odd today, a little bit odd. We're recording on a Tuesday. It's not my fault. Uh, Nobody can edit it and load it and do all that stuff if we don't get them the show by today. So we're flying a little blind as to how the weekends. Now, we're only going to miss two days of markets. Uh, typically I was joking earlier on the intro that, uh, typically, you know, Fridays, the Friday after Thanksgiving is typically pretty serene, not a lot going on. Usually not typically heavy volumes, almost like a summer day. And then you got the market closes earlier. I think closes at 10. I want to say at 10 our time. So, uh, but, but it was, I think it was like two years ago. It was some, it, it, it was, was it last year? Maybe it was last year. Anyway, I always say that, and that's typically what happens. And then markets got shellacked one day, the day after Thanksgiving. I think it was last year, the year before. So, I mean, anything can happen. And like I was saying, anything can certainly happen in this crazy market. Who knows? But um, we'll do our best to summarize it. Um, Also, not going to do an interview. Same thing. Um, I said last week we were going to do one. I thought I had one booked. What I'd forgotten was that... Again, uh, nobody wants to record on Fridays and nobody could, people were traveling, couldn't get it worked out. So that one's my fault. But uh, anyway, we've got it coming up. Actually, uh, our main, our main man, Tony Greer is going to be back on the scene next Friday for an interview. So that'll be fun to catch up with him. He's launching a new TV based service or, or video service that you can log on to and, and, or you can, you can subscribe to. And he's going to do regular updates on there. Uh, Anyway, we'll get him on. He'll tell us the whole scoop. Um, And then um, today I was explaining this again on the intro. I want to do a section to dig back into why the guy that's been on the radio pounding bonds, pounding on bonds, uh, (laughs) detesting bonds for the last 10 years is now saying that we're buying U.S. government bonds. I thought I'd explain this clearly, but I've received a bunch of questions from our existing clients, listeners. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions, and I apparently have not done a good enough job laying this out. So I want to explain what the opportunity in bonds is going forward. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a long-term opportunity, but I think it's one that certainly exists here in the next six to, let's call it 16 months. Um, and I think it's a pretty compelling one, at least on a risk adjusted basis. And that's being the key, right? Know your risk, risk management. What we're always looking for are investment opportunities, right? That have really good upside with very little downside, as little as possible, right? That's what we're looking for. We want free rides, right? We want to take as little risk and make as much as we can. That's the name of the game, especially when we're in retirement or close to it. Um, so I'm, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go through and clarify that. And then I want to get into hedging. There's so much, that's another one that I felt like I've done a good job of explaining what I've realized. Uh, and I've said this before, but it's, it's something that I keep coming to realizations about that when you do something this close all day long, staring at it all day long, you, you, you take certain things for granted, um, you know, that, that anybody else would in their own job. You know, you're like, oh, well, when you grab the thingamabob, right? It's, you know, it's, we, we need one. And then person's looking at you and go, well, hold on. Before you tell me what to do with it, you got to tell me what that is. I don't even know what that is. And it's not that they're not capable of understanding. It's just that, you know, they don't use it every day. So the same is true in finance. And I think I could do a better job of laying these things out. And then also tell you what, you know, what the philosophy is behind it, right? Why do we hedge? Is hedging a no-brainer? No. Can hedging mean you make less money? Yes. Will hedging mean that you in total make less money over an extended period of time? Typically, it does. Right? So why would we do it? I'll explain to you. Um, So we'll get into that. But right now, let's get into the market update. 
Uh, truthfully, not a whole lot of news, especially since the Fed announcement. Um, we've spoken this in the last couple weeks, and I really think, and, and we'll get into this right now. Um, <clears throat> we due to the Fed's, so everybody's trying to game right. That's the market. We've still got a market that, in my opinion. And I think it's pretty easy to point this out on a factual basis. In my opinion, the market is still singularly focused on what's the Fed going to do rather than sitting there thinking about how, how, what impact will the actions that the Fed has already taken had on the community and Chase Taylor and our, excuse me, on, on the, on the industry, on the, on the, on the markets, Chase Taylor and I were having a discussion about this on last week's show, you know, talking about how. Markets are so singularly focused on Fed policy that it's like they're forgetting to look at what they're actually there for, right? Is to price assets, not try to game the Fed. Now, will the Fed's change of direction one way or the other have it? Yeah, it's going to play a factor. But I think what you're seeing right now is just remarkable in the sense that I don't think the Fed has really been this transparent or this clear in terms of forecasting what it is that they're trying to do and have the markets seemingly in a state of disbelief, like they're not believing them. And you can sort of see this on the face and hear it in the voice of James Bullard and Powell when they were giving their recent comments. There's visible frustration. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And again, Chase and I discussed this at great length last, uh, last week in our interview. Um, and I will tell you this, I I don't really see any wild cards. I, I kind of look at where we're going as an extension of the last two years. And people are like, well, Zach, the market's down. Not for the last two years, it's not. It's still up. So in my opinion, you've got this crazy COVID craziness that the market has yet to burn through. And like I've said before, when you get me back to those levels or similar situations or valuations that mask the period just right prior to COVID to me, that's the starting point. And, and I think that the federal reserve is frustrated visibly. So that markets aren't taking this more seriously, you know, because one way to bring inflation down is to suppress asset prices, right? I mean, it applies to financial markets as well. A that's kind of ruining capital. So you're pulling money out of the system. B you're dampening down investors euphoria, which means they're less likely to make crazy investments. They're more likely to sit on savings, right? So there's all these other aspects and the fed has been incredibly uniform. So when I make this, when I say this, I don't want you to think that this is what I think is likely to happen with the fed. I actually think that the fed is probably likely to raise 50 basis points as they've showed as they've projected at the next meeting. But but I will say this, listening to the interviews of Bullard and uh, Powell, I think the possibility or the, you know, the potential for a Fed surprise, I don't think it's zero, right? I don't think that's, I don't think that's the, the, the likelihood that the Fed issues a surprise. And what do I mean by a surprise? Well, one of the ways to really quickly get the market to know that you're dead serious about this would be to forecast a 50 BIP increase and hit them with 75. Now, and look, people are probably, Zach, you've said they've already hiked too far. Well, they have, okay? But I understand why they're doing it, and it's because of the sins of past years. It's because we shouldn't have been on the zero bound, in my opinion, past 2013. And I think beating the rest of the nonsense out of this market is actually a good thing. I think it's a good thing for the market long term. I think it's a good thing for the economy. I think it's good for investor expectations. I think that you need to teach a generation of investors not to expect 50 to 60% annualized gains. Um, I think that you need to show a generation of investors that this isn't a casino. Um, now they're not the only ones treating it like casino. I'm just saying from the feds perspective, whether I agree with them or not, let's assume we're looking at things through their lens, right? We're walking a mile in their shoes, if you will. 
And I would sit there and go, what are the impacts? If I'm planning on going 50 anyway, but I'm frustrated because the market is already looking past the rate increases and already trying to price things for when we're cutting and we're not going to cut. We've told them we're not going to cut. And yet they still don't listen. People will be like, well, what do you mean they don't listen? Look at more. I saw an incredible stat the other today, actually. The market cap of Dogecoin. Now, why I think this is significant is Dogecoin has no real legitimate utility. People will make the argument it will. It won't, not compared to all the other coins that are out there and all the other kind of stuff, right? And Dogecoin was made as a joke. The inventors of it, the guys that programmed it, admitted it was a joke. They never thought it would get taken seriously. And I think at the top, Dogecoin had something like a 50 or $60 billion market cap. Okay, well... If you believe energy, especially green energy, is somewhat of a problem out there, and if you're a sober-minded person, and and guys, this is not a political slanted point of view either, right? Sensible people, realistic people on both sides of the political aisle will acknowledge publicly and privately that if you are really serious about zero emissions, if you are really serious about sustainable green energy— the nuclear has to be the backbone of that plan. Okay. Let me explain to you why I don't think all the froth is built out of this market. If you add up all of the publicly traded uranium companies in the world and you add them together, their market cap is $30 billion. Dogecoin's market cap is $10 billion. Now, would you rather own all of the Dogecoin in existence or a third of the world's publicly traded uranium mining assets, <laughs> right? I, I I mean, come on, right? I, I, who'd make that argument? Okay, especially when you realize how ridiculously underpriced and undersupplied uranium currently is. Um, so I, I I I that's another reason why I think the Fed is frustrated, right? They still haven't beaten the froth and nonsense out of this market. And looking at it, looking at the way they view things, remember, like I've said, or like I said, for the last 15 years, they believed in the wealth effect, push asset prices up, that will generate inflation that will make us better off. So what are they saying now? I, I just don't think they think, I don't think that their aim is higher asset prices right now. Now, I don't think they have a desire to just blow the stock market apart. I also don't think they want it trading at 21 times earnings, staring at what it's currently staring at, almost as if it's everything's fine and there's nothing wrong. Right. So and then, like I said, are are we as insane as we were? Well, no, but I mean, you know, partially insane and still insane. And, and, And more importantly, it shows tremendous misallocation of capital. Animal spirits are still running nuts. What you want this market to do from the Fed perspective is you want to knock the froth out of it, ideally. You don't want to damage it, but you really want to discourage the misallocation of capital and get people back to the actual business of investing rather than speculating wildly on a bunch of created and contrived or conjured in Todd Herman's terms. Uh, these conjured assets out of thin air, right? That, that, that is not helping your cause, right? You know, 18 year old people making 2000% returns on a, uh, you know, a, a code based quote unquote coin named after somebody's dog or some dog meme, right? That's, that's not constructive to the Fed's idea of squashing down inflation. So getting back to my point, we, we, If you're frustrated that the market isn't taking you seriously and you're planning on doing 50 and then 25, why not just hit them with 75 and say it's open for interpretation? I mean, it puts you in roughly the same spot. The other thing is, is guys, let's face it. Monetary policy isn't a scalpel. What's the difference by tacking on another 25 bips at this point? Other than the fact that it would get the market's attention. They would start taking it seriously. Right now, do I think that's likely to happen? No, because I think the Fed is paranoid above all else. I think they're paranoid about throwing markets into 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 madness. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I think that's a factor. I just think people are really misunderstanding their priorities at this point. You know, I, I think if I think they would gladly take an additional 15 to 20 percent drop in the markets if that brought inflation back down to, let's say, you know, the 4% range over the next, you know, three or four months. I, 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 
I just have a very, very hard time believing that's not the case. And quite honestly, my suspicion is, is if you gave them, what is it? Sodium pentothal, right? Truth serum. If, if you gave them truth serum, I think that they would tell you they're probably surprised. Why do I say that? For the same reason that I'm surprised that markets are here. It just doesn't make sense on any level. Um, you know, unless you're expecting some type of economic miracle and, and, you know, I just don't see it, but, but I will say this, I I am certainly more guarded. Uh, I am certainly more careful approaching this next fed meeting. I think it is highly unlikely the fed delivers news that really sustains a rally. Or gives gives life to a rally. Um, just judging by their words. Now, again, maybe something happens between now and the last time they talk that I'm not, you know, aware of because it's not like Powell calls me to get my input. Uh, and nor should he probably. I mean, I obviously, I mean, I, I would certainly like a say. I would, I, I would take the call. Let's put it that way. Um, but uh, you know, I, I. I I just don't see the downside if you're at the Fed. Now, like I said, I, I the likelihood of them doing something like that, I'd probably put in the 5 to 10% range, but it's not zero. And the market's treating it like it's zero. So I'm not saying that whatever they're going to do is going to crash the market. I'm not saying that the market will not continue after the next Fed meeting to act the way that it currently is, right? Which is just this, you know, this, this attitude as if, okay, we've taken enough pain. Now we're trying to figure out the next cue. And you're like, no, no guys, it's, you're acting still as if earnings are going to come in just like they have been. And that's not going to happen. So I'm going to be more cautious going into this fed meeting. Um, and we'll see, we'll see the way it plays out, but it, I would not be absolutely blown off my chair if they threw a bigger rate than was suggested. And, and, and part of it is because I think it's that simple. I mean, I think 25 bips would get the desired effect. I, I, I really do. And uh, again, they're planning on raising 25 bips anyway. What, what I can, I can almost promise you this. Okay. You've had back to back 75 basis point hikes. I do not think if you would have asked the fed that after uh, 75 basis points hikes over the last 60 to 90 days, whatever it is that the market would actually have rallied valuations would have gone up even amidst an earnings decline year over year. I don't think even, I think that would have shocked the fed too. So don't, I'm not saying it's happening. I'm don't saying, I'm not saying to go short the market because of it. What I'm saying is I see a much higher probability of whatever the Fed says at the next Fed meeting in the beginning of December, I see a much higher probability of that resulting in markets getting hit as opposed to it spawning a rally. Um, and just listening to the words of Daly, Bullard, Powell, all members of the FOMC, they're all preaching the same thing. And they're all saying that inflation remains somewhat un- unimpacted. That's what, that's what Bullard said recently. So that's something to watch out for. Uh, Other thing I wanted to get to, oil sure has been a fun ride lately, right? Story came out, oil's been exceptionally uh, volatile the last couple days. Story came out yesterday in the Wall Street Journal uh, that uh, OPEC was going to boost production out of nowhere. And I thought, boy, that's an odd, that's a really odd story. It's an odd statement. And oil was just getting smashed. At one point, I think it was down more than 6% on the session. Uh, then I believe it was the oil or energy minister of Saudi Arabia came out and said complete nonsense. No clue where that story came from. Well, then it comes out today, which is starting to make a little more sense, that the Biden administration reportedly, now I've not had time to confirm this. I just saw the story before I came in here to record, that the Biden administration was considering offering immunity to uh, what it, I think it's MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, leader. I think it's MBS. He was going to offer immunity to him over the Jamal Khashoggi killings in exchange for OPEC plus, plus producing or increasing production. Okay, there's a lot there, so let's walk through it. First of all, I do not know if this story is accurate. Okay, but 
let's just assume that it is. Um, and I'm going to assume that it is at this point because to me, that would be more in line with the actions of the Biden administration um, you know, the, 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 than the story not being true. Um, but, but let's start there. First of all, this whole premise is based on the idea that OPEC has spare production capacity. Now, they have been trying to increase production. I mean, they were trying to increase production virtually all of last year and pretty quickly after the COVID lockdown started because that backlogged oil got sucked up pretty quick with the restart of the of, of the of the economy. And and them talking increasing production is goes back even further than that. And looking at our numbers and production rates and what they've said in the past and how it's equal, how it's equated to actual production. And we've said this before, we think that they have far less uh, uh, excess capacity than any, than, than the market seems to think certainly so. And I, I really don't even think it's there, but second of all, here's the thing that I, that is so frustrating me about this situation that should be apolitical. If you're the Biden administration, what are you doing? You're, you're going to offer MBS, who you think helped author or organize the killing, and it looks like he did. I don't know how he wouldn't have, of Jamal Khashoggi, rather than just decriminalizing oil producers here in this country. And this is the stuff that really gets me because these should be non-political issues. This shouldn't be seen as an attack on Biden or support of Trump or anybody on the right. They just what are you doing? You're going to make life easier on a guy that you believe had the direct or had direct involvement with the killing of an American journalist. So they can produce more while you demonize and villainize producers here in the United States. I mean, what's the net difference, right? Whether the oil comes from Saudi Arabia, whether it comes from Pennsylvania, why do you care? It doesn't have any impact on emissions. It's a net. It's an, it's a zero sum game, right? It's you're burning the oil one way or the other. And this is what kills me. It's all about political theater. So so the emission results are the same. Environmental impact is exactly the same. You would just rather get a guy that you strongly believe was involved in the murdering of a U.S. journalist. You'd rather him get the money than U.S. companies and U.S. labor. I mean, that's where we're at. This is how ridiculous this is. So what's the only reason you would want that? Political theater. Because you've said we're not going to drill. We are. We're just not going to drill here. We're going to pay other people for it. We're going to be more energy dependent. It's just nonsense. It's just absolute nonsense. And it shouldn't be political. So anyway, that's that's about it on the market update. Let's see if there's anything I got here. Uh, and well, and that's the other frustrating thing is if you're frustrated with high, as long as we've got an administration, regardless of who it is, that is basing decisions off political theater, you can know that this problem is nowhere closer to getting solved. As a matter of fact, the negative ramifications and the issues continue to grow by the day as long as we avoid it. Anyway, got to take a quick break. We'll be right back getting into our discussion on rate hikes or excuse me, get our get, get deeper into the bonds and try to explain that a little more thoroughly. As always, give us a call 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com or capitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Stick with us through the rate. Uh, stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Due to all the money printing from central banks in the long period of zero interest rates, some serious inflation is hit, I'm sure you're aware. And inflation crushes bonds. We've been talking about it for seven years. If your portfolio has a significant portion of bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy. You do need one. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. This shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still get market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. 
Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back Thanks for sticking with us. All right. So I want to get into the, again, I know that a lot of you have been listening for a while. And as I was saying in the, should we call it an opening monologue? (laughs) I can't, I can't take myself that seriously. But anyway, in my opening diatribe, before I got on the market update, we were talking about how I've been trying to explain why the guy that has been railing against bonds. And funny enough, I think I might have mentioned this to guys to you. We we started referring to our bond replacement strategy. Uh, you know, and I guess it's flattering, but I guess there's like three other people on the radio now, at least in the Seattle area, talking about their bond replacement strategy. So I'm not saying anything bad about them, but if you took advantage of that bond replacement strategy, you're welcome. I can assure you that nobody was talking about that before we were. But anyway, and hey, and here's the other thing. Does it somebody was like, "Man, that probably ticks you off." And I go, "No, it really doesn't." And and it doesn't because I if they were really really utilizing a bond replacement strategy like we were, they saved people a lot of money over the last year and a half. So, you know, whether they got it through us or through somebody else, hats off, right? You know, I I, I say that to our guys all the time. Right. Investing is all about results. It doesn't matter if you came up with the great investment idea or you stole it from somebody really smart. The only thing that matters is the end result. You know, let's get the end result back. So tip of the cap to those firms that do that. But let's let, let's get into the, the bond discussion here. Um, I, I think it's shocked a lot of people. And, and I don't think they've really. I, well, I don't think I know that they really haven't understood what I meant. They're like, well, Zach, well, you know, but the, US, the the government bonds, they can lose though, right? And, well, you know, they're paying four, four and a half. I can go get four and a half, five percent CD. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't get the CD, but that's not what, that's not what the opportunity is. Okay. So let's talk about bonds for a second. Okay. A bond is just like a stock. It's not like a CD. Okay. A CD is... You lock up for a period of time. CD is kind of more comparable to an annuity, right? It has a period of time. CD is a little more liquid, easier to get out of, but, but there's a time component to it. Now there's a time component to a bond, but a bond is a security, meaning it's trading on exchanges. So a bond has a current market price all the time and things make that price of the bond go up or down, just like it would a stock. And what are the biggest impacts? Well, rate interest, interest rates, right? As a bond holder, that is how you make money, right? It pays you interest. Now, if you knew that 12 months from now, the Fed would have cut interest rates. Let's say the Fed funds rate right now is four. Let's say we knew 100%. That within the next 12 months, the Fed would cut back interest rates to where the Fed funds rate was now at 1.5. Okay, let's say you knew that 100%. Would you buy bonds today while they're paying four to four and a half from the U.S. government? And that's the other thing, guys. We're talking about U.S. government bonds here. Okay, not other kinds. This discussion and the way bonds behave is unique to U.S. treasuries. Okay, so... They all behave similarly, but there's a big difference. Typically speaking, especially when interest rates are rising, one of the things that you see happen in recessions, and I've talked about this on the show last week too, but I really want to be clear about this. Interest rates are like risk rates. Okay. The higher risk you are taking, the more interest you would want, right? So if we were going to buy a bond from Apple, we might be fine taking 2.5%. Why? Well, because they're sitting on like $160 billion of cash, right? They're the most profitable corporation in the history of mankind, right? We probably feel okay with that. If we're loaning money 
to your 20-year-old's college roommate that doesn't have a job, probably going to want more than 2.5%, right? To reflect the amount of risk on the capital. So what you see is, is interest rates historically are like risk rates. The riskier an asset is seen, the more interest it pays, right? So, but what happens to all of these all of them. So, you know, you look at the world of bonds, U.S. government short-term treasuries are considered the gold standard, right? The 10-year U.S. government bond is the most common bond. That is what we, whatever that is paying, that's what we refer to as the risk-free rate in investing, okay? Then you got 20 and 30 years. So when bad times hit, most people, most investors want to own the safest assets. What are the safest assets? Dollars in U.S. bonds still today. Safer in Italy, safer, safer in Japan, safer in China. I'm not saying we don't have our problems, but compared to everything else, right? We're the cleanest, dirty shirt, as I've said many times. Okay, and then you look at corporations like Apple, they'd be a couple notches ahead, you know, still really high quality. And then you'd work your way down the deal. Well, one of the things that always happens in recessions is when you look at things in bull markets, that all makes sense. You know, if the U.S. government treasuries pay in like 1.9, you'd expect Apple to be probably around like 2.5, let's say. And then go to, you know, go to Boeing with its problems. You can get Boeing bonds that are paying like five and a half, you know, and then you want to go look at, you know, uh, you know, some other like GameStop bonds are probably paying, you know, eight. I don't know. But I mean, you get my point, right? You go down the quality line and, and, and in a bull market, all that's kind of uniform. It makes sense. Well, one of the things that happens in recessions is the yield. Okay. Think of it just like a company, right? The yield on a treasury goes down, right? And the yields on corporate bonds and pretty much everything goes up. And what we refer to when that happens is we call it the spreads blowing out. And what we mean is, again, in normal times, in, in expansions, like the last 15 years, you saw those markets pretty orderly. And you could just look at it and go, on one end, you got U.S. government bonds. And on the other end, you've got over here, you can make you know 9% owning junk bonds, right? It's actually been worse in this cycle. It's been like 6% which is crazily low, five and a half, even on junk bonds. But, you know, they got sucked lower than everybody else. So, but what I'm saying is there's a flight to quality. Now, bonds are the opposite of stocks in that when interest rates go down, right? I said, think of interest like profit. It is because that's what pays you as a bondholder, right? But as the interest rate goes down on a bond, or excuse me, as interest rates go down in general, Bonds paying higher rates of interest become more valuable, right? So like I said, if you knew, if you had a bunch of money sitting there and you didn't want to put it in the stock market and you want to just get a good safe return on it and you knew for a fact, U.S. government bonds, the 10-year you can get right now paying about 38 to 4%, somewhere in that ballpark, but you knew for a fact that the Fed funds rate was going to go down to 1.5% in the next 12 months, Okay. Now, we may not know where that takes the 10-year, but if the Fed funds rate goes from four to one and a half, you can bet your bottom dollar the yield on the 10-year bond is going to go down too, right? So do you want to buy a 10-year bond today paying 4% or do you want to wait a year and buy it when it's paying two? Well, you want to buy it today. So what happens? Now, when the Fed actually cuts the rates, so when they actually do it 12 months from now and they take the Fed funds rate to our imaginary level of 1.5, which they very well could, but I'm, I'm just using this as an example. At that point, and now that 10-year today that's paying you four, it's paying you two. At that moment, you'd certainly rather have the 10-year bond paying you four, right? It's twice as much interest. So what happens is that bond that we bought today for $1,000, because whenever the U.S. Treasury issues new bonds, they're always sold in $1,000 increments at par, $1,000. Okay, so the bond we bought was $1,000 at par, paying 40 bucks a year, 4%, Right? The new ones being issued a year from now, if we're right, and our imaginary scenario comes true, Fed funds rate is paying one and a half, 
means the 10 years paying two and it could be less than that, could be more than that, but just stay with me for the analogy, right? It's paying two. That means the treasury is issuing 10 year U.S. government bonds paying 2% or $20 on your thousand dollar investment. Well, you'd rather be making $40, right? So the value, if I'm going to pay $1,000 for a bond that pays 20, I'll pay more than 1000 for a bond that has the exact same issuer, so no more credit risk, but it's paying 40 So that bond that we bought for $1,000 is now worth more than $1,000 because the new bonds that are identical are paying half as much interest. So investors are looking at those bonds paying 2% and they're saying, well, shoot, man, I'd rather pay you 1100 and have your bond that's paying 40 And you go, well, I would too, but I can do math. So you got to pay me a little more than that, right? To make up for the difference in the interest payments. So those bonds go up in value. Now, when interest rates go down and you're not in a recession, all bonds go up in value, which is why bonds have been such a good investment over the past 40 years because interest rates peaked in the 80 and they just steadily went down. So as a bond owner on all your bonds, including corporate bonds, you were getting the interest payments every month. But you were also owning those bonds in a declining interest rate environment. So the underlying value of those bonds that are paying you the interest every month are going up in price. So you're making money both ways. Right? So this gets back to now in recessions, you see the spreads blow out. This is what I was alluding to earlier, meaning nobody because think about it. If you if if there's a recession coming and a company's stock goes down by 40%, why wouldn't their bonds, right? Their 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 stock is going down by 40% because the market expects them to make less money. Well, if they make less money, that increases the chances that they can't service their outstanding debt. So typically, you're going to see the value of their bonds drop too. Which is exactly why people sell those bonds and buy U.S. government bonds. So a bunch of money leaves the corporate bonds, meaning price goes down, yield goes up, right? Because if the price of a bond drops and you, let's say you bought a bond that was paying you 50 bucks a year, so 5% interest, you bought it for a thousand, but everybody thinks that company is going to be in trouble next year. And now nobody wants to pay more than $900 for the bond. Well, if you buy the bond, you're still getting paid your 50 bucks a month. So now that bond, I'm not doing the quick math in my head, but now let's say that bond is actually paying you five and a half percent of what you originally invested, right? So as bonds drop in value, they actually pay more in interest for for the person buying it. So that's what happens. The corporate bonds are going to drop in price. The U.S. government bonds are going to go up. So the client client looks at me their day and he goes, and I say, I'll use the same analogy I used last week. And apparently again, I didn't explain this well enough. Client looks at me and he goes, well, Zach, why would I take the risk of a government bond when I can just lock it into 5% in a CD? And I said, cause you can't make a 25 to 30% profit on a CD. And he goes, well, what do you mean? I'm locked into both. And I go, no, no, you're locked into the CD, but the bond is a publicly traded security. You can buy and sell it every single day. Like a stock, you can do it 30 times in a day if you wanted to. As a matter of fact, it's the most liquid market in the world. The reason that we think U.S. government bonds are so attractive is because we believe the economy has entered recession. We believe that recession is going to get more severe and result in considerable earnings drops next year. We believe that's already started. Okay, I don't think this is really controversial. Um, and I think, I think that based on how long interest rates were at zero – the economic impact of this fast and this big of cuts is going to be larger than most are expecting. And I think that that will cause the Fed to begin cutting rates before next year is over. So if the Fed is cutting rates in the midst of the market finally waking up and realizing that we're entering a serious recession, what do you think is going to happen? What that would have resulted 100% in the past is a blowout in spreads. Corporate bonds selling off because the market finally realizes, hey, we're up against it. This doesn't look good, right? U.S. Treasuries going the other way. Their, their, their prices going up, therefore their yields going down. 
And so what we're looking at is we're saying, now, what could make us wrong? Well, what could make us wrong about buying 10-year U.S. government bonds here would be if interest rates were going to go up. I'm not too particularly worried about that as it relates to the next 12 months because I don't think interest rates need to go up. I think if you just hold rates here for the next 12 months, you're going to implode the entire U.S. economy, if not the the global economy. And I think you've probably already done enough to where, I mean, I think we were going to go into recession regardless, but you've probably already done enough damage at this point already. Forget more hikes. So even if you get one or two more hikes, I doubt that it has much impact on something like the 10-year. And if it does, I think it will be very short-lived. So first of all, you can buy the 10-year paying you 4%, which you haven't been able to do since 2007. But second of all, I think it's highly likely within the next 12 to 16 months that based on current monetary policy, the Fed will have to reverse course. They will have to begin cutting rates, which means that the yield on the 10-year will drop. And if the yield goes from 4 to 2%, please do not hold me to this. But according to my back of the envelope math, it should equal somewhere around a 25 to 35% increase in the value of the 10% bond or 10-year bond. So we're making our 4% because we bought it at 1,000. But I think rather than being worth 1,000, it's going to be worth around, let's call it, you know, 1250 to 1350 over the next 10 years, or excuse me, over the next 12 to 16 months. But the beautiful thing, like I said about that, could I be wrong? Yeah, I could. But the beautiful thing about it, the risk management part of it is I don't think the threat of it losing very much is very good at all because I don't think they're going to be able to even keep rates here, let alone raise them significantly and hold them there over the next 12 to 16 months. Right. So it's a beautiful. And if they do. Right, one of the things we're doing with clients is let's say they want to put a million dollars into U.S. government bonds, take advantage of these rates. Well, maybe we'll put like 40 percent of it in the six month bond and put 60 percent of it in the 10 year bond. Both are making between right around. Well, I think the six month bond is actually making like four point three, four point four, something like that. So if we're wrong and rates go up, our six-month bonds come due in the next six months, and we can roll them into either more 10-year bonds paying more than 4%, or maybe we'll be able to get a six-month bond at that. Anyway, any value hit that that does, because rates go up, right? If rates go up, bonds go down. Any value hit we take on our 10-year bonds, we'll probably be able to more than offset by the increased interest that we're able to invest that other 40% of our money that was in six month bonds, right? It's going to come due in six months. We get our money back. We can reinvest it and we can reinvest it at higher rates. So worst case scenario, you got a pile of cash that's making four and a half to five and a half percent a year. Not, not exactly a losing proposition, especially when looking at the last 15 years. But what I think is most, most, the most likely outcome is that rates in an effort to save the economy and not have us go into a depression, rates are going to have to be cut drastically in, in, in the, in the near term. So anyway, where, why it's so attractive to us is when I'm looking at this setup. Now, look, anything can happen. There are no guarantees. But I think about the worst case scenario as it relates to this investment. And I'm like, you, you end up with a pile of cash paying four and a half to five and a half percent. Best case scenario, you end up with a pile of cash paying four to five and a half percent. But the underlying bonds are up 25 to 35 percent in price. Right. Those are the kind of risks we like to take a 35 percent profit, a 30 percent, 20 percent, 25 percent profit in any investment looking at the, looking out over the next year. That looks really good. Now, I don't know what the stock market's going to do. I would bet heavily right now that over the next 12 months, it's not going to generate 20 to 25% returns. I'd, I'd put a lot of money on that. Okay. So, and a matter of fact, I think it's probably more likely to lose 20 to 25%. Now, I'm not certain of either, but I'm just saying this is what I mean by risk management. Over here, I've got an opportunity where. Basically, worst case scenario is we're leaning back, making four and a half to five and a half percent of our money. Best case scenario, we're looking at 20 to 30 percent gains in the next 12 months. You're not going to get that with a CD. You're not going to get that with corporate bonds. 
So guys, you can't just sit there and go, interest rates look better, so we're going to start buying CDs and bonds. Now, I prefer you buy a CD because a CD can't lose. Corporate bonds can, and I believe they will. Now, here's what a great trade is. If you're sitting there going, corporate bonds pay more, and I go, well, give it a year. They're going to pay a lot more. You make your profit on the treasuries, make your 20 or 30% profit. During that meantime, the same thing that drove your treasuries up 20 to 30% in value drove corporate bonds down 20 to 30% in value. Now they're paying you nine and a half to 10%. So you take your bond money and your, <laughs> and your 30% profits or 20% profits are, and you buy corporate bonds when they're now paying you nine to 10. Now, I'm not saying it's going to work out exactly like that, but you can get what I'm saying, right? And that's one of the reasons, guys, where I look at so many of these stocks today and they're just really unattractive. It's not saying they're bad companies, but when I'm sitting there looking at trade setups like that with U.S. government bonds, what in the world with this economic backdrop? I mean, what do I hope? Do I hope I invite, you know, invest in NVIDIA and make, you know, 20% 20% over the next year when when I look at everything lined up against them and it says that they're most likely going to be doing way worse than that, why would I want to take that chance? I wouldn't. So that's the opportunity in bonds. That went on a lot longer than I thought, and you'll have to pardon my my how long that went. But um you know, and that's another form of hedging. I was going to say we can we can cover that right now. Why do we hedge? Cuz we have to avoid the catastrophic loss for our clients. It's the only thing that ruins a retirement. We got to make money too. We can't let them run out, but we have to do it inside of confines. We can't do it embracing the risk of catastrophic loss, right? We know that that we know that ruins the retirement, right? If we make five or six percent for a few years, it's not really helping us build, but it's probably not going to ruin our retirement. If we lose 30, 40, 50 percent, it could. In a lot of cases, it will. People are like, well, you can bounce back from that. Not when you're taking money out of your account every month. When the market gets back to even, you're not anywhere close because you've been selling stocks and bonds to pay for, you know, you still had to pay the bills just because the market goes down 50% doesn't mean your cost of living does. And this gets back to why we hedge. It, by doing things like that, is it possible we make less? Yeah, but but we're not trying to get rich in retirement. We're trying to stay rich. Right? We've got to change our mindset. If you got an investment that, you know, worst case scenario, it's paying you 5%, and maybe the underlying value goes down by 3 or 5%, but you got the really good potential of making a 20 to 30% profit in the next 12 months, that's, that's the kind of trade that a retirement portfolio should live on. Right? Worst case scenario is we're making 5% on our cash. Best case scenario is we're staring at 30% profit 12 months from now. And that's a form of a hedge because guess what happens if that scenario plays out, right? If I'm right and 10 years go back down to where they're paying you 2%, what do you think's happened to the stock market? It's gotten hit hard. Corporate bonds hit hard, right? It's a hedge. So not only is that money not going to be damaged by a stock market loss, it's going to make money which helps offset any losses we take over here, smooth things out, provides us a nice stream of income. But it's not, that scenario does not work that way with corporate bonds. It doesn't work that way with CDs. And this is the type of thinking you need. You need to get maximum returns off of each unit of risk you get while constantly making investment decisions that do not expose you to the catastrophic loss. That's why we love this trade. If these are conversations you're not having with your advisor, if you haven't had this conversation about the opportunity right now in, of all things, U.S. government bonds, right? You're probably not getting the value for the price you're paying for that advice, right? You're not, you're not getting, if, if, if they're like, oh yeah, we agree. Interest rates are higher. We're going to go buy bonds and they buy you a diversified portfolio. That's got corporates in it and junk and high yield and stuff like that. They, they don't get it. They're not worth the expense ratio. They're probably great people, but I got a neighbor. He's a great guy. I wouldn't trust him to raise my children or manage my money. If he was the last guy on earth. He's a great guy. Would I pay him a fee to do that? No. Why? Because he's a fireman. 
He's not dumb. He just doesn't know how to do it. I would trust him to watch my kids. I shouldn't have said that. But you, you see what I'm saying? So if that's not the advice you're getting, guys, give us a call or call somebody else that is talking about these things. You don't just have to survive what's coming over the next year if it gets nasty. There's things that we can do that can help you thrive with very little risk. Call us 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com. It's not just hype, guys. It's real. We've been on the radio talking about this for seven years. Our average client's down 3 to 4% this year after being up, you know, shoot, really solid double digits last year. Still looking very positive in our accounts going back to January 1st of last year. You don't have to be getting shellacked. There's just a level of knowledge to know how to execute these things and navigate crazy markets like this. And that's what we do. Call us, 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Have a fantastic Thanksgiving weekend. I hope you eat a lot. I hope you rest a lot. And I look forward to seeing you guys again next week. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation, and it's here. All the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and due, and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old-school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free book. Booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.